love in all the wrong places will likely contain explicit language and will definitely contain sexual content and sexual language. Enjoy. Welcome to Love in All the Wrong Places. My name is Evan Bass, and thank you for joining us, uh, where we journey into the romance novels you didn't know existed, never would have picked up, and now must have in your life. Unique perspectives force us to ask questions of ourselves that we never would have asked otherwise. And you know, we ask and answer those during our podcast. Today, we are very lucky to be visited by special guests, Megan Mann and Hadley Whittemore. And our topic for today is Dungeons and Dragons. We will be discussing later on Ring of the Ruby Dragon by Jeannie Black, the 1983 Choose Your Own Adventure Dungeons and Dragons romance novel. Welcome, Hadley and Megan. Uh, thanks. Oh, thanks. So we've, we've got D&D and romance and erotica, and we, we don't often think about these things together, especially given sort of the derivation of Dungeons and Dragons. I guess maybe those who invented it probably really wished there was romance in their real life added to it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I just imagine, you know, a, a bunch of guys creating this who are like, man, I'm going to create these really sexy paladin female characters that I can dream about one day talking to a girl. Yeah. That's, it's the one thing that's missing probably what they thought. Uh, it's a real shame. They, they could have practiced actually talking to girls. If they, if they'd done that, things probably would have worked out better for them. <laughs> mm. And and it's it's interesting because I feel like, at least in a lot of the Dungeons and Dragon games that uh, that I've played, and, and actually let's jump back a little bit. Hadley both plays and uh, I believe you are a professional DM. I'm a full time professional dungeon master. And Megan, I've known in a, a campaign that uh, I DM, and she is one of the player characters. But also, I believe. Our campaign is one of a number that she is currently overlapping <laughs> with. I juggle pretty well. I juggle pretty well. Some of them, you know, lived and died during the pandemic. Uh, some have carried on. Some have reduced in frequency. But um, D and D is something that I I love with my heart. And and in addition to that, you also have a production company that you've written and produced uh, a number of short films that are almost D and D themed least sword fighting and combat. That is correct. Sometimes I am inspired by D&D because some of the scenarios that I, you know, seem to get myself into or our party, I think that would make a great story. So I've written and produced and starred in seven projects. Wow. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's like my life, it's part of my life. <laughs> it is my I believe, life. I believe at one point you were talking about building your own armor and I did so it. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to see that at some point. Yeah, or maybe sure. not on this podcast, but yeah. eventually. Yes, I'm a big cosplayer as well. So certified nerd. Certified nerd. Seal of approval. Hashtag nerd in a positive way, though. Yeah. I, I think, especially as D and D has come more into the forefront, people are realizing, like, oh, this is a lot of fun. It's not just something I saw on Stranger Things or, you know, I heard about my older brother playing and man, 
it was either that or Magic the Gathering. I think it's really interesting. And I think the more it's advanced, it has uh, added so many layers too. Yeah, especially with fifth edition, I, I think they've worked very hard. They're not quite done with it, but they've worked very hard to sort of right some of the wrongs of earlier editions and expand the, the universe to be both more expansive and more inclusive. Tasha's, I think, was a big step forward with that as well. The upgrades and the changes have been nice, and Tasha's has really helped. You know, it's the newest book in a while, so it was, you know, playing with the changes, I think, is really cool. One of the things that I love about D&D is that as a character, you can you can make any choice you want. And, you know, there are consequences for your choices, but they also can lead to really interesting and creative things. And I think that leans into this idea of of possible romance, of erotica in these situations. I know in you know the campaign that we're currently doing, we have a, a young a young dwarf. Uh, she it's and it's interesting because this is a a male identifying player uh, is playing a female and female identifying character and is very much uh, loose around the the hips, as it were. Uh, <laughs> and to to positive advantage, you know, oh, found a an older a dwarf in the uh, area that the campaign mainly takes place, shacked up with that dwarf really quickly, ended up getting some really nice maps and some advice and can kind of go back and, and pull things from that individual. So it's it's interesting. I think that's part of that that is often overlooked uh, is is not just romance for romance's sake, intimacy, which has a narrative purpose uh, and a value, not just to the participants, but to the party at large. Uh, and there's uh, there's a lot to be said for that, which uh, goes unsaid and underutilized uh, in most campaigns. Hmm. And I think it's it's interesting because just like in every action or spell or decision a character makes, the the player character or the DM has the choice to describe in detail the situation, which makes it really interesting when when somebody decides to do a you know a sexual encounter and then overly describe it to the rest of the the players or the DM decides to you know embellish some stuff. I I, I think it's it's really interesting because you then get the reactions of people who might not even be the reactions that they personally have, but they can play through their character and sort of feel a little bit more open, which I think is an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. I think also for the DM, but also for the other players in the party, like, you know, I think in, um, in our campaign, Evan, when my character had to read a letter from, uh, <laughs> from the to lover set the stage, or something to... <laughs> the, the 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 uh our player our dwarf player character wrote a sexual letter to pass on to the older dwarf and then megan's character had to read it aloud to that older dwarf in the message and it was go on it, it was i would say it was more of a love note i guess it's it's dependent on whoever's listening to it but it was i mean I I was red <laughs> and I was making it up. <laughs> so um it was fun, but I I will say 
what I found interesting too, and this is kind of switching gears a little bit, but in one of the campaigns, I don't, Evan, maybe you did this too. I don't remember, but I was sent by the DM a, a consent form. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just a Google questionnaire. Interesting. Yeah. That was basically what are you comfortable with and what are you not comfortable with? Because, you know, there are a lot of issues, I think, that could be trigger warnings for people um, who have been through situations that require some sensitivity. And that is something that I really appreciated. I think also it was really thoughtful being a woman and being in kind of a male-dominated game, especially male-created game. While, you know, you, you flip through the player's handbook and most of the women, oh, some of the women are sexualized. And mm-hmm. I just thought that that was a, a really thoughtful and great thing to do. Yeah, the uh, the use of safety tools in role-playing games, uh, sort of the advent of it is, is relatively new, uh, but right on time. Uh, mm-hmm. when I, when I start games, uh, these days, I incorporate a number of safety tools, uh, and, uh, there's the red, yellow, green sheet, which is just a list of potential topics, uh, which may be triggering for people where, you know, red is absolutely no go. Yellow is I'd be okay with this potentially, but there may be aspects that I, I you know, what I'm going to want to back away from, you know, and then green is, you know, just go whole hawk. Another one is lines and veils. Uh, and this one I really like, especially around eroticism and relationships and flirtation, because when I run games, there's always the chance that, like, you know, Evan, you said that a, a character may become enamored with an NPC or another player character. And having a line where it's like, I absolutely do not want any discussion of romance or physical intimacy uh, or issues of agency. Uh, and uh, there may be veils where, uh, and I've, I've certainly had this happen in more than one game, where that mounting sort of tension and uh, flirtation uh, has a, a somewhat obvious trajectory, and uh, and we acknowledge that, but it whatever happens sort of happens off screen, so to say. And using tools like that is really important uh, around uh, situations like this, especially when you've got, goodness only knows uh, what kind of triggers people might experience, even if it's not happening to them or to their characters. Mm-hmm they might be sensitive to it. Exactly. I totally agree on that. I think it also depends on who you're playing with. If you're in a party with people you don't know, or if you only, you know, in our case, I didn't know anybody in the party um, except for Evan. So that can also change the way people want to play the game. And, and speaking of rising tensions in games and flirtations... Uh, Megan, I'm going to put you on the spot to talk about an interesting situation you uh, heard of. Yeah. So my friend was dating this guy who was in a, I think they were on their third year of their campaign. And I think there was, there was only one member who had left. 
and they were replaced by a woman, a female identifying person. And she was the only one in this group of guys. And she had a crush on him and they were kind of flirty outside of the game, but they were, she was brand new and new new to everyone, friends outside of the game, inside of the game. And she was really pursuing that and they weren't they weren't super graphic in their game. It was very obvious that they were together and that caused tension and that also kind of shaped their story, their campaign. And my friend noticed that they were like really talking a lot outside of the game. And so she asked about it and, and he, you know, was kind of oblivious to it because he also is just about the game. So he wasn't mm-hmm. thinking of it in an outside world kind of way. He really was just keeping it in game. And my friend was like, well, do you think she's into you though? Like into you? And he was like, no, not at all. And then she, you know, it started Uh, to- The obliviousness of men and women and most of us. Yes. So it started to escalate a little bit in the game where she wanted to get married, which- you know, if you have a cleric or a paladin that can do ceremony, I guess you can get married and get that plus two AC for a week. Oh, the honeymoon phase. Yes. Wait a second. Wait a second. I actually don't know about this. There's yeah. a plus two AC for a week yeah, if you I, get married. I think you have to be within like 30 feet of each other or 60 30, feet. Exactly. Yeah. Oh but yeah. Okay. So it's like a morale boost. Yeah, basically. Yep. I, I think okay. there's actually a step further. I think there are like some magical items that also enhance... Um, partners in game. I haven't researched it, but I've heard about it. It's never happened in any of the campaigns I've played in. The marriage has, but not the the rings or there's something, there's some magical item. Who has time for marriage in a campaign? I'm always very much like, let's get this done. Right. I, I got gotta say, to it's you know, do. strained uh, situations are not the best for the the beginning of relationships. Uh, obviously getting married under duress. I I don't advise it. (laughs) So I think at that point he was like, oh, shit, you might have a point. (laughs) So yeah, by the end of it. Did this end with him getting murdered in his sleep as a a player character? No, but (laughs) the, the campaign pretty much, the pandemic really kind of hurt that campaign. Some people moved away and there are some, you know, just just the mental and emotional stuff people were going through. But yeah, it ended up she did want to pursue something with him. And he was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and it caused it caused a big rift because their character, at least her character, was built in the beginning from having a infatuation with his character. And so you know, she really didn't know what to do from there. Like the only solution they could come up with is she com- she build a completely new character. And wow, it, this is very interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it's and I think it's I think it's also interesting because it's that different levels of blending personal with the game. Where some people, it's just okay, it's the game, and we have this. But then, as you know, a, a troop as a group you do bond with each other just in the the fun of playing a game. And so you build that camaraderie, you build that relationship 
And then, yeah, where is that boundary? Right. And, and that's not something that's often talked about. Right. And I think also it's it's an escape too. like the game. It is something that people do, at least for me, you know, if I have a bad week or if even if I'm having a bad day, it's like and I get on to play, I can really just quiet everything. Everything else gets quiet, basically. And so I think when you are also in the middle of that situation and it does just cross the line into real life and and game, then it kind of has a potential to not be be that escape anymore. It becomes stress or it becomes something that it, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> the, um, the, the way that's often referred to as bleed. And uh, so I actually just finished up my uh, therapeutic game master certification with uh, uh, Geek Therapeutics out of Seattle. And we talk a lot about that, about how people's connection to their characters, some people it's distant. It is a, an escapism mechanism. And for other people, it is really closely emotionally tied to them. And so when you're at the table and your character has a crush on someone, that bleed can push you to do that as well, to have those same sort of feelings or vice versa. And uh, I think it's very interesting because for this guy, he's showing a very competent or maybe naive way of establishing that boundary between his character and who he is. And conversely, it sounds like this other player was struggling to do that. And I mean, there's there's always going to be a little bit just because we have to process the feelings and thoughts mm -hmm. uh, essentially of a whole other person. Uh, but uh, especially around romance and eroticism, those things are so deeply tied to us. It is harder to, you know, draw a line between what's happening to the character and what's happening to us. Mm -hmm. And am I correct, uh, Hadley, that you are currently kind of working on a romance eroticism or some kind of uh, intertwining with, how would you describe it? Yeah, so uh, it, it's, <laughs> I, it's very interesting because I, I never really thought this would be a, a, a line I would pursue, but in... I'm doing a couple of one-on-one -on -one games, which I, I have a, a few of those series that I work on where it's just me and one player. Wow. Uh, the, uh, the idea of romance and, uh, and deeper, more intimate, not necessarily romantic, but just intimate relationships comes closer to the forefront uh, because there's going to be support characters and stuff like that. And somewhere in there, there just happened to be a closer, more intimate bond that I was noticing between some of the non-player characters and the player's character. And when I brought this up to a couple of different people, they were like, well, why don't you just run an erotic D&D &D campaign? And I was like, why would you say such a thing to me? What are you what are you what are you talking about? This is this is probably similar to the pitch when they were like, I'm going to do uh, this run where people run five miles, but then mm -hmm. they have to do uh, a whole bunch of obstacle courses in the middle of it. Uh -huh. And uh, we're going to like, you know, put rocks in it and stuff. And jump like, through fire. Oh, oh, that's, that's insane. I'd never do that. Nobody's going to do that. And then it's like, oh, it's a billion dollar industry now. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, having having done one of those runs, totally unprepared, mind you. I yeah, it feels a lot like that. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? But at the same time, it's not entirely a stretch because the tropes of the horny bard and the you know the succubi and incubi uh, and this sort of like subtle but at the same time omnipresent sensation of desire and sexuality they're they're very prevalent in dungeons and dragons like you said a lot of the characters uh, especially in the art are sexualized uh, it does show that there is an underlying desire and uh, much to uh, megan's earlier point some uh, desires that are often repressed or unexplored mm-hmm. And uh, so what I've uh, talked about doing, and I I am still working on developing this, is uh, creating an environment in which eroticism is not subtle. I I don't know that it's necessarily going to be foundational, but the idea would be to, to come in with those safety tools in place, but to have some lines that like, we will discuss eroticism, we will probably discuss sexuality. We will uh, maybe even discuss what is happening in the moment in as vivid a detail as we're as we are willing and able to do. And I, I think that I think that there is a place for that. And I think that there is, even if it's a niche market, uh, a market for people to explore these concepts in a safe space mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and have an opportunity to I mean how many how many times have you ha- got a chance to practice flirting not actually flirted but just practice what it would be like to talk to someone <laughs> in that sort of way uh, and uh, and that would be the idea is that you could play as a character who is maybe more competent in the ways of love than you are, but in exploring that, also become more competent, capable, and confident. Mm. And I think I think that's sort of one thing that both D and D and and sort of romance erotica novels overlap in is this uh, living vicariously through something else. We have this taboo where we don't really talk about sex that much, and. When you're at work and maybe you you don't feel that you have as much control or some strength and then you come home and you're like a 15th level fighter and you've got this insane AC and you've got a subclass that allows you to protect others. And then at the same time, you've got this whatever magical weapon that then lets you kick everybody's ass. There's a, a strength of like, yes, that, that you can step away almost as Megan said, and then into this thing that fulfills that desire that you're lacking in your own life potentially. And you have all of these options. You've got all the different types of characters. And now, especially with Tasha's and the expansion where you can sort of, it's not limited to a race having a certain advantage, but you can Mm -hmm. sort of mix things and of course be more on a spectrum, which is more to life, but you can, this'll be a perfect segue into (laughs) next thing. You can choose your own adventure, right? Uh... And so in that light, we are going to pivot to our story to talk about sort of this this romance novel. Ring of the Ruby Dragon is described as uh, books. It was in a series. They're books aimed at girls, no recommended age. Came out in 1983 
and combined first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons with second person romance from a young female perspective. Was it a female perspective? <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I think I, well, it was, I think it, it tried to be. Yes. So the, okay. So the, the main character is Shondell. And what I thought was interesting is it's very Romeo and Juliet aged. So she is 15 years old. Our, our main female character is 15 years old. She meets another young man who's probably late teens, early 20s. And then at one point, a large, dark man who is a very seasoned <laughs> fighter who is only 25 years old. So very, very young uh, group. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out to you guys. What... What was your impression of this, I'd say romance erotica, but it was really, to me, a lot of a tease. I'm going to pause there to see what you guys, what your guys' reaction is. Yeah, I, it was, I think maybe because I am uh, desensitized now, because you said 1983, so it was very tame. It didn't really feel like romance to me, I just... I was annoyed with, I mean, well, I'll, first I'll say there are, I think I counted 18 endings. I definitely did the, the standard choose your own adventure. My first read, I went, I went the quick route, no full spoilers, but you meet initially a young knight or a young fighter. And I, I was like, Ooh, let's go with that. He seems like it might be a love interest. And then I immediately lost. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, in true choose your own adventure fashion. I'm going to go back to the last choice I made and make the other choice and see how that goes. Yes. And then after I finished that, I went back and then didn't go with him. And it gets a lot more interesting. Yes, it does. Um, I I found myself a little annoyed with the night. And I thought the other love interest was just kind of a tool. So to Which, uh, Corin or Torbeck? I, I feel like Corin, I was just a little annoyed with. And then he might have also been 15 for all we know, for all we know. And Torbeck, I feel like was just kind of a tool because in some mm. of them, it was like, I took notes actually, because I was like, I'm not going to remember all this. But I think at one point he was like talking about his wandering eye and she just has to deal with it. I'm like, is this, mm-hmm. what is this? Is this supposed to be romance? There's no, there wasn't really anything. I, there was, I guess, some some things where she wanted to, to kiss Corin, and, mm-hmm. um, or maybe that was Torbeck. But did did either did either of you go down the route that ended that got to the magical door? No, uh, no, I don't think so. Ooh, tell so me there's more. A, there's, I got to one with the magical door. They're inside this cave. So it's the it's the ring of the ruby dragon. The premise is. Chandel is riding with her uh, father, who's a, a specialized jeweler that she apprentices, and they're uh, attacked by uh, centaurs and griffins, essentially. They call them, what, like lions with wings, but I'm pretty sure they pretty much meant a griffin. Yeah. And they, she gets knocked off because she, she, like, jumps back and gets kicked in the head by a horse, her own horse. And gets knocked out and then wakes up and her father's gone. And so she's trying to find the father. Very quick premise thrown at her of, oh, there's this ruby dragon and she needs to get it back from the ruby dragon. 
Nothing about really any rings, which I thought was interesting because it's the ring of the <laughs> ruby dragon. I think it was more of a metaphoric ring of like a ring of people. But... but do you think that because those magical stones, I guess, that she has from her father made a ring? I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but the stones that she has that make a ring around her? Mm-hmm. It, is it on the cover? It's on the cover, so I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. Oh, okay. She's got a ring of... Okay. Maybe? <laughs> A ring, yeah, a ring of stones, potentially, yeah. Yeah, so then she goes and she's got to find her father. And, okay, so this the magical door. So there's this magical door. And at least for me, it was was very much like, I kept asking myself, like, where's the sex? Yeah. It's a lot of attempted sexual tension. And it's like, oh, I want to kiss him. But maybe I... Maybe I don't. Oh, I want to tell him I love him, even though it's like two days after she met, right. you know, mm-hmm. one or two of these characters. Right. And she gets very jealous of anybody flirting with either of the males. Oh, yeah. There's also a, a halfling rogue that that's with them, a female halfling rogue that is kind of awesome, uh, depending on which route you take. Yeah. And so they so it's it's Jancy, I believe, is the, the rogue mm-hmm. and Shondell, Corin and Torbeck. They get to this magical door inside this this cave and the magical door says only those who love someone can pass through me Uh, this is this is a spoiler you'll know which one to take which path to take uh (laughs) if if you get to this because of this but whatever only those who love someone can pass through my uh like my boundaries and if you if you lie to me that won't work and this is the first kind of sexual thing that happened in the book, at least from my perspective. Torbeck grabs Shondell and goes, I love someone. I love Shondell and just kisses her <gasps> like no consent whatsoever. And she's just like, whoa, whoa. And then he walks through the door and the door's like, you lied to me. And he turns to dust. Oh, Magic my God. Gets good which good is, job. Wow. Which is like, which also is a great throwback to first edition. Uh, A D and D because in those days you you could die really easily. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm working our, the campaign that we're on is a is a second edition campaign that I've converted to a fifth edition. But I have to draw back the things that like, oh, this person gets a disease and then they die the next day. This mm-hmm. person gets this. And if you don't cure them immediately, they're dead. So I really loved that crossover of a little bit of at least sexual interaction, and then the, and then the like. This is Dungeons and Dragons. You know? Yeah, <laughs> don't forget. Uh. I did like if you noticed every time Shondell was kind of being a brat, it ended poorly. <laughs> mm-hmm. It ended either abruptly or bad. And I, at one point, going through, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna follow her, like sexual attention. Mm-hmm. If she thinks, ooh, I want to do this because I think I can get something romance with Corin. Like, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Even though pausing to confess your love is, seems like a really silly thing to do in the middle of a quest and you got a dragon, but like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. I went through the, my first go through on this book. I feel like I, I feel like I won uh, at this book <laughs> uh, because okay. I, because I went through and it was like, do you go with Corin or do you try and find somebody else? And I was like, all right, you know, it's it's a hook. You handed me one hook. Let's see what this is. Yeah. Uh, and whatever path I managed to wind my way down, eventually you get there and you 
defeat the dragon and you save the father and everybody lives happily ever after. And I was like, well, I, I, I don't know if there's a better outcome than that. Right. I, um, that's what I did. That's what happened to me too. My first read through was that one. Exactly. Wow. Uh, My uh, first read through was like, you get killed by the dragon. The end. You <laughs> get locked in the chamber with the father and are there for the rest of your life. You start crying. I yeah. I mean the now the second go through uh, was uh, was was very different. I uh, and uh, you know going going that different route was was definitely more interesting. But there was no point at which I was like these characters are attracted to one another. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was probably the hardest part about it, uh, was trying to equate whatever this was with the concept of romance or eroticism. And uh, I, I could certainly understand that, depending on where a young woman is uh, in her life, uh, that she may fill in those gaps and be prompted to think about what could happen next. But uh, as for the, the story itself, it did certainly follow in that same vein that we've been discussing of just barely skirting the edge of what uh, could be flirtation and, uh, and eroticism, uh, and then very quickly returned to Dungeons and Dragons as we think of it. Yes. Yeah. And this was Ring of the Ruby Dragon is the... Uh, first book in the Heart Quest book series. The log line is pick a path to romance and adventure. And I feel like it really was like or death. You gotta you choose your adventure to <laughs> yeah to the adventure part. But I as I was reading this, a lot of the times I was thinking like, all right, so when are they gonna like have sex? Right. When is this when is it gonna get like kind of towing the line and interesting? And then I almost went on this tangent, not almost, I, I started making notes. Started making notes on like I bet the three of us combined could write a really awesome choose your own adventure erotica D&D. And in my mind, you'd start with, first of all, you'd have a, you get to choose a male, female or, you know, non-binary character. Then you could choose your sexual orientation because who cares? Mm-hmm. And it's all told from the like first person perspective. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what gender identifying you are and you get to choose who you hook up with or don't, but it, it has those elements that are already intertwined with D and D that you could use where it's not going to take away from the adventure. The things that, that bothered me in this are ones that bother me in movies where it's like, I've got to save this. We've got 35 seconds, but I'm going to spend 20 of them kissing you. Like, right. no, yeah. like you do the, you, you know, you've got eight hours of a long rest to get back your health that's when you can have sex. You can make it interesting. Or maybe you have a choice and you're in love with two people and maybe you're, you're having a tryst with both of them. Or maybe it's a menage a trois and then you have to make a decision between the two of them in the quest and one of them might die. I, I'd you know? love to touch on, on one of the points that you, you laid out there and that is the, the long rest. Uh, and uh, I think it... The I think it's often overlooked as a narrative hook because those are the points where characters get to role play. Those mm-hmm. are the places where they decompress, where they 
come to terms with what has happened and how they've been hurt and the challenges that they've come up against. Uh, and they are perfect fodder for these kinds of more intimate uh, engagements. And I feel like a lot of dungeon masters gloss over those for the mechanical aspect so they can get back to the fighting part. I'm guilty of that as a DM in our campaign, and we have six six player characters. And so during the long rest, there's they do watches of pairs of two, and it's always the same pairs that clearly that opens up for a certain amount of bonding between those characters that we don't really discuss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always... Uh, in one of my campaigns, I remember being on the first watch, but I was by myself and I was building a fire and I was visited by the bitch goddess Umbra. (laughs) And the DM, like, I was so surprised by it. I mean, obviously my character was too, but it was such a beautiful moment because I, I hadn't experienced something like that during a rest so it was it was really neat how he described it. But, you know, I started to smell salt in the air and the back of my neck was wet. My hair was getting wet for some reason. And then I was visited by her. And then it gave me something to talk about or not talk about once everyone had woken up. And, yeah, I agree. It's a it's it's a little used mechanic. So what what would you either add to this story or if we were creating a legit D&D romance erotica how would you how would you frame it wait sorry how so if you were okay so so one of the things that I had we we've all sort of mentioned about about this book is there isn't much romance erotica there's this sort of tease or or I don't know hope for romance and a lot of the endings that I had was like oh such and such becomes your guard and you'll be with him forever. Yeah. But there, there was no meat to it. Sure. Uh, I mean, and, and yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I guess, what would you like to see in a, a D&D romance erotica? I think you just kind of nailed it. I mean, just more. Plenty of opportunity for it, for sure. And I think also you have to think about the targeted audience. I think in your... Um, description of those movies where, you know, they've got 30 seconds to live and they spend 20 seconds of it kissing. What that also does from a storytelling perspective is raise the stakes so high that what they do for the next 10 seconds matters a lot more than if they were just trying to untangle some wires for 20 seconds or whatever to, to, um, Mm -hmm. one moment that I ran into, I read through this a bunch. There's one, I don't know if you guys got to the, um, where uh, meets the Naga by the pool, but there's a cool uh, choose your own adventure aspect to this book where she has a moment with Corin, and then he goes off to fight and she, he get, gets caught on fire and she has to run away and she's like, Oh no, am I going to make it to like get the water to throw on him to save him? And it's this nice actual buildup because I think she just, I chose like confess your love. So like, do it. Come on. Yeah. And uh, confess the love. And then you had a moment where like, oh, OK, they're together. That's attention because now if they're broken apart, you have an issue. And I guess that's one thing I, I missed, Yeah. which is if you're going to have a sexual attention, it needs to happen early. Right. I mean, when you have uh, this is going to be an insane example, but Armageddon, when you've got Ben Affleck <laughs> and 
um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Um, uh, Aerosmith's daughter, the, yeah. Steven yeah. Tyler, Liv Tyler. Wow, there's my there's my route. Aerosmith's uh, daughter. Uh, so when you've got when you've got Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, and they're already at the very beginning this like love torn relationship, then at the end when both her father and her her lover are in space, you can feel that tension. You mm-hmm. feel the connection that I feel like that was one thing you're missing here because there was no, you don't get that connection early. Right. I was going to touch on that too. There's no real like emotional buildup, which it can start from a shallow place, I think, but seeing it grow from something is, is something that means romance to me. I, I definitely agree in that. And I think that probably one of the biggest limitations is either the abundance of, I think you said, Megan, 18 mm-hmm. different potential endings for the book, which is both a whole lot for a small book and not enough for what you would need to feel like you actually had choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I think this book was limited by the medium uh, and especially by the time, because thinking about how this could work, this would be more appropriate to be sort of an an app or a uh, a book with which you had lots and lots of potential directions to choose from uh, and uh, and in a digital space you really could have storylines that varied tremendously mm-hmm. uh, and included that tension, that building emotional involvement between characters that would, again, raise those narrative stakes. You just gave me this idea of, of like an online choose your own adventure, like romance erotica, D&D, where you follow each branch. Correct. But anybody could, could submit and you, you add your own part of the story until there's a choice. And once you have the choice, then you leave and somebody else comes in. Mm -hmm. And so the branches keep branching and you could essentially crowdsource this crazy Mm -hmm. story with so many different endings. And it would fulfill every different person's version of it because everybody could add to it. I'd read that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, And I I think that, yeah, yeah. I mean, who I don't know anyone who honestly wouldn't. Yeah. Mostly because you could because it's crowdsourced. Diversity brings a lot to the table Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. perspectives that you would not have thought of and opportunities and options for choice that you probably could not have imagined yourself would probably be abundant. And with a a book like that, I mean, how many people uh, write fan fiction? I mean, it's, it's been happening since Virgil probably before that. And so if you had something like that available, you could have tens of thousands of people contributing just little snippets of what could happen next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's I think that's the kind of thing where you've got lots of options and you actually feel like your choices matter. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're gonna uh, okay. do that. So, so um, before we wrap up, Let's think of uh, potential titles for said D and D erotica. Oh goodness! Um, for the- I, here's here here's what I'd say, uh, just sort of as like a general concept. I don't know that I would sell it as erotica. Yeah, 
I think that the idea would be, you know, fate is in your hands. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you can go that route. Yeah. Want, and so you if you to. wanted, yeah, if you if you met a knight early on and did not want to pursue them romantically, then don't. Mm. Uh, because on the spectrum of sexuality is asexuality. Correct. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason that that an adventure has to be erotic or has to be sexualized. But it's also not saying that it can't be. Into into the dragon's den. Yes. Yes. Or not. That, hey, or not. Or not. <laughs> I did like that the tavern in the story was the wooden whistle. Yes. Which is probably the only yes. phallic reference in the whole thing. Yes, I noticed that too. I was, I was like, oh, great. This is, okay, that's, wow. that's all we get. That's wow. about as far yeah. as we get. I guess, you know, there is also your imagination, which you always have. I mean, that's the point is to, to uh, inspire that imagination, right? Yeah. To seize upon what, uh, what your imagination could do next. And I, I would want to see, even if there were lines and veils around the more intimate aspects um, or physical aspects, you know, I, I think you could find yourself touching on those points with a, a little more grace, <laughs> mm-hmm. but also a, a little more intention. And uh, I think that I, I think that with the ring of the ruby dragon, that it comes close to touching on it, but it, it just it sort of shies away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I think that if we if we let ourselves uh, to a place where these sensations start to build and then maybe as authors or creators, we're able to step away and let the imagination run wild before picking back up. There's the, you know, there is more tension because it's all in your head. Yes. Yep. Agreed. Well said. And with that, we're going to wrap up the podcast. I'm going to say, Thank you so much for the amazing conversation from both Hadley and Megan. Couldn't have had this conversation without you. It would just be me talking to myself and probably alone in my room, like like Aww. how D&D probably got started. hey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to say thank you for, uh, for listening to Love in All the Wrong Places. Please subscribe to the podcast where any and all podcasts can be found. Uh, And if you have any suggestion for future books we should feature, please follow and at us on Instagram. Our handle is at L-I-T-W-P. It's an acronym for Love in All the Wrong Places. Yeah, and just wanted to say, remember to spread the love. Thank you all. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks.